Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I've got another good show for you today. The baseball regular season is winding down. While the Mets are done, the Yankees are getting ready for a wild-card showdown with the Oakland A's. I'm going to check in with a diehard Yankee fan and get his perspective on some th- things the Yankees need to figure out over the next couple of weeks before they enter the playoffs. Show Me the Money is also back with your Week 3 NFL picks. And be sure to stay tuned until the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill, where I offer my take on the news that Superman himself, Henry Cavill, is poised to exit the DC movie universe. We get all rolling with our opening tip, where we take a look at the big headlines from week number two of the NFL season right after this. Y'all ready for this? Welcome back to this week's opening tip. We're going to take a look around the National Football League with week two in the books. We got some big headlines going on. We got some teams that are 2-0, like the Bengals, the Dolphins, and the Buccaneers that are big surprises. We also some teams that are winless, like the Giants, the Lions, the Steelers. Let's start with these Giants. Lost 2013 last night to the Cowboys. Now 0-2 for the second straight year. The big takeaway, obviously, the offensive line which we were worried about after the Jaguars destroyed them in Week 1, is still a big problem. Cowboys picked up six sacks last night, and as Chris Collins was pointing out during the game, the Giants were not picking up simple stunt moves. Now that can be attributed to a lack of playing time together. The problem is you don't have a lot of time to fix that. Teams that are 0-2 in this league only made the playoffs 11% of the time since the, the league expanded to 32 back in 2002. 11% of the time. Now, it's not to say it can't be done. The Saints were 0-2 last year made the postseason. But the Giants have to get themselves right in a hurry. And having a bad offensive line will negate all the offensive weapons they have. Let me give you a good example. Last night, they could not move the ball. Saquon Barkley, the number two pick in this draft, great running back, known for his ability to catch the ball, Last night, he was targeted 16 times, made 14 catches for 80 yards. When your running back is getting 16 targets, that's a problem. The trio, Evan Engram, Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard, the Giants' outside perimeter weapons that you need more time to protect for, they had 12 catches for 142 yards and one touchdown courtesy of Engram when the game was in out of hand. Eli Manning passed the ball 44 times, averaged 6.3 yards per attempt. In other words, he was captain checkdown. You cannot be checking the ball down that much on a team with that kind of weaponry. The Giants need to get that line fixed very quickly. They have to go to Houston this week. They're 0-2 as well after a very weird loss to the Titans, who did not have their quarterback playing. They lost both tackles, and they still found a way to beat the Texans. Even though it's week three, this game is as must-win as must-win could possibly be for both these teams. Now let's shift to the Jets. The Jets come out week one. They blow the doors off the Lions. Everyone is singing their praises. Sam Darnold's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But as Jet fans know, this team likes to find a way to let you down. They always have. They have done it particularly under the Bulls era. And this is the case again. Jets lose 20-12 to the Dolphins at home in a game they very easily could have won. This game featured a lot of sloppy offensive line play. 
Sam Darnold was running for his life a lot of the game. He made two big mistakes. The interception at the beginning of the game, the Dolphins converted it into a touchdown. The second half, after they force a fumble, get the ball in the red zone, the first play, Darnold throws an interception in the end zone. That was not necessarily his fault. Terrell Pryor let him down there. Should have at least made an effort for the football. But this whole team was a mess. The offensive line could not block. They couldn't block for the run. The Jets ran 19 times for 42 yards. That is not a formula for success for this team. They do not have the outside weapons to let Darnold be chucking it 35 times a game. Miami converted their turnovers. They got 14 points off of them. The Jets are not good enough to give the other team 14 points and hope for a win. I could spend all day talking about how bad this performance was with the Jets. And Bowles deserves some blame for not having this team ready to play. But Darnold played pretty well in spite of the two picks. He still completed 61% of his passes. Became the youngest player, quarterback ever to throw for over 300 yards in the game. They have a good chance to get back in the in column against the Browns on Thursday night. Speaking of those Cleveland Browns, they just find no, new and more impressive ways to lose every week. They go down to New Orleans this week. Saints, are, a lot of people expect them to win that game big, have a big showing after getting embarrassed by the Bucs in week one. The Browns are in that game the entire way. Hold that 12-10 lead late in the fourth quarter. Drew Brees drives the Saints down, get the touchdown, get the two. They're up 18-12. There's less than a minute to go, less than two minutes to go at that point. You're thinking, okay, that's how Cleveland loses. They played hard. They're going to lose. They go home. Not so fast. Tyrod Taylor comes back. It's Antonio Callaway who is now taking over as one of the secondary options with Josh Gordon on his way out. They had a 47-yard touchdown to tie at 18. Now all that's left is the extra point, right? Nope. Zane Gonzalez misses the extra point. Saints go down, kick the field goal, take the 21-18 lead. Okay, heartbreaking Browns loss. That's over, right? Nope. Tyron Taylor makes another couple of plays. Gonzalez gets a chance again to tie the game this time with a 52-yard field goal. And he hooked it hard right. And as a result, he is out of a job. Browns lose. Browns are going to Browns. They are around 1-33 under Hugh Jackson. They play the Jets Thursday night. You know they are improved. I just assume the Browns find a way to lose these football games. Expect that to happen again. The kicking game was also a big factor in the tie between the Packers and the Vikings this week in Minnesota. That contest went back and forth. Kirk Cousins looked like he was worth every penny of that $84 million contract the Vikings gave him over the winter. He went 35 of 48, 425 yards, four TDs, one pick including an absolute dime of a throw to Adam Thielen to tie the game late. Now, I'll give you that the, the Vikings caught a huge break because the game should have been over earlier on that drive. Kirk Cousins gets picked off on fourth down, but the refs flagged Clay Matthews for roughing the passer on the most routine sack I've ever seen. That was an incredibly bad call. Gave the Vikings a tie. Now, once they get the overtime, the Vikings could have easily won that game. But kicker Daniel Carson, Carlson, excuse me, missed not one, but two field goals for a chance to win. One from 49, one from 35 with the clock expiring. Kickers matter. Both the Vikings and the Browns found that out this week. Carlson is also out of a job. The Vikings have brought in the second most accurate kicker in NFL history, Dan Bailey, to take his place. So... Hopefully, they're kicking problems behind them as they try to win the NFC North this season. Let's go over to some of the heavy hitters in the AFC. 
the big headline of the day there was the Jacksonville Jaguars making a huge statement, beating the Patriots 31-20 in Jacksonville to go to 2-0. One big key for the Jaguars this game is that they stayed aggressive throughout. Back in the ASC Championship game, they built the lead, went to the half up by, I believe, 14 to I believe they're up 14 to 3. And in the second half, they went to a shell, ran on first down every single play. They could not get any more offense. Pages came back and won the game. Nathaniel Hackett, the play caller, let Blake Bortles air it out, and Blake Bortles was great. Blake Bortles goes 29 of 45, 377 yards, four touchdowns. That's a huge statement game for the Jaguars. They're now 2 0 and have two straight home games against Tennessee. As I mentioned before, is down their tackles and has Marcus Mariota hurt. And the Jets, they have a great shot to go 4-0 before they get to the Chiefs in Week 5. The Chiefs are another team that's off to a hot start. The Patrick Mahomes era is off to a brilliant, brilliant beginning in Kansas City. Mahomes went through four touchdowns in their opening game. Goes 23-28 for 326 yards and six touchdowns as the Chiefs win on the road in Pittsburgh. The Chiefs never win in Pittsburgh under Andy Reid. That's a huge statement right there. The Chiefs have now gotten there, and they won at the Chargers in Week 1, a team that may have thought would win the AFC West. The, the bigger story here, though, is the Steelers. The Steelers, after they tied the Browns last week, come out. Their defense gets shredded for 449 yards of offense at home. They are now 0-1-1. They will need to get their first win of the year in t- Get to try and get their first win of the year in Tampa next Monday night. Speaking of the Bucks, Fitzmagic is alive and well. They upset the Eagles 27-21 to go to 2-0 on the year. Now, Fitzpatrick set the tone immediately. First play of the game, you're kicking back, you turn red zone on. Ryan Fitzpatrick bombs it to Deshaun Jackson, 75 yards to the house. 7-0 before you can even blink an eye. On the day, Fitzpatrick goes 27 of 33 for 402 yards. Four touchdowns, one interception. On the year, he's completed 78.7% of his passes for 819 yards, eight TDs, and just the one pick. He's only the third quarterback in the history of the National Football League, which goes back to the 1920s, to throw for 400 yards and four TDs in back-to-back games. The other two, Dan Marino, survival Hall of Famer, and the immortal Billy Volick, back in his days in Tennessee when he was throwing a Drew Bennett and throwing touchdowns late in that one year where McNair was hurt. Now, everyone knows that Fitzpatrick is obviously more volic than Marino, but he is playing incredibly well. If I was James Winston, I would not be comfortable right now. The cycle of Fitzpatrick is upon us. Fitzpatrick could easily take that job and hold on to it. Another good showing against Pittsburgh on Monday night. Winston may have to wait and earn that job back and let Fitzpatrick run with it. As far as the Eagles are concerned, Came out flat early. The secondary did not look great. They have a lot of injury issues right now. The Alshon the, uh, Jeffrey's still out. Mike Wallace hurt his ankle. Now he's out. Mac Hollins is out. Darren Sproles is hurt. Jay Ajayi left this game with an injury, came back. But they are going to get Carson Wentz back this week. Wentz was cleared for contact. He's going to start on Sunday against the Colts. This division is still very winnable. There's three teams at 1-1 one and, one and the Giants at 0-2. The Eagles not play a divisional game yet. They have plenty of time to get Wentz ready and be in position to make a run in the second half of the season. With that said, let's shift our focus to the diamond as we talk New York Yankees baseball right after this. 
High fly ball, right field. Garcia back. That'll do it. See ya. Yankees win 5-4. Now he can dance again. The man had the dance. You don't know how hard this is. Step up as a pinch hitter and just locks one. Big win for the Yankees, boy. A couple, three home runs. Sends everybody home happy. All right, and we're back. The baseball season is winding down. While my Mets are playing out the string, the Yankees are playing for postseason position. Well, the AL East race is all but over, the Yanks are a lock to play the Oakland A's in the wildcard game. Although the venue of that game is still in question, I felt like now would be a good time to check in with a Yankee fan to get a sense of how the Bombers faithful or feeling about the team. So I reached out to someone I've known for a long time who is highly knowledgeable about this team. That's my good friend Justin Diaz. Justin, welcome to the show, and how are you? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited for this. Should be fun. No problem. Before we dive into it, can you tell the listeners about your history rooting for this team? Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, you know our good friends, Phil, and uh, I don't know you remember Mike Pinacci, uh myself. We were big Yankee fans growing up, uh, middle school. I even going back to earlier elementary school. Uh, I got the great 90s dynasty teams, you know, the core four, as everyone likes to call it. Uh, so we got a little spoiled there. Um, got used to the success, had the great run in the 2000s, kind of turned around a little bit. Where uh, So, yeah, just I was born into the, the lucky side of it, unfortunately. No offense. As a, as a match fan, you know, I don't like that. Um, you know, it's been a – this year we had high hopes. I still have high hopes for them. Uh, went through a little bit of a lull. I think injuries played a part to that. Uh, I think people overreacted maybe a little bit. All right. Over the last month and a half, the Yankees have fallen out of the AL East race at just 30-25 and 25 since the All-Star break. By comparison, my Mets are somehow 31-26 since that point. As someone who watches this team day in and day out, did the average players do more of the injuries or simply not playing very well? Uh this is the cop-out answer that you always hear people say on TV, but I really do think it's both. Um, you know, when you're losing your best hitter in Aaron Judge, 50 home run hitter, D.D. was out for a solid, what, three weeks? He's a 30 home run hitter, and you're replacing those guys with Shane Robinson and Neil Walker. You're going to have a pretty good off. Luis Severino, just absolutely terrible in the second half. Um kind of tough to pinpoint too when you're watching he's still throwing upper 90s 100 miles per hour i think maybe his slider's not biting as much his change isn't biting not finishing off hitters uh gary sanchez has been an absolute disaster this year whether it's he's been hurt he's been not running out ground balls when he is playing he's not hitting i think that coupled with the long season i think a lot of yankee fans also need to take a step back they're still on pace to win 100 games. It's a long season. You're going to have the downturns. Yeah, it's not it's, their fault. That at the, the rest... end of the day, you, you have a season where you win 100 games. Yes, it's a very talented team. I can't sit here and say 100 games is underachieving. They, got off, they were a very hot team right before the All-Star break. I think, you know, the, the low in August and a little bit after the All-Star break, you can also chalk it up to – there's ups and downs of every season, and if there's not, you're the Red Sox, you win 110 games. Yeah, it's not their fault they're in a division with the Red Sox is having one of those historic all-time great years either. It's not nothing they really do about that. No, I mean, the Red Sox built an 
amazing roster. The the JD signing was took a while, but they got there. They needed that badly. They needed that big power threat that they didn't replace uh, Ortiz with last year. That made a huge difference. Sales being Sale when when he's healthy. David Price has kind of quietly had a, a really good comeback year. Uh, Mookie Betts is playing out of his mind. Xander Bogarts. They're they're just a stacked roster. I as a you know, as a diehard Yankee fan, I, I can't even debate the fact that they're a better team than us. Uh, and I also think the Astros are clearly a better team too. It's uh, it's it's a stacked stacked conference. Even even look at the Rays. I mean, they're they're not really in it anymore. But if you put them in the NL, they're right in the thick of things. Yeah, the poor Rays are going to run out of time to make their comeback. Yankees basically locked in hosting the. They're going to deal with the A's. The venue that game's still up in the air because I think it's only like two or three games separating them in the standings. Do you think it makes a big difference if the game is at Yankee Stadium as opposed to Oakland? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'd say I'd be very confident in the Bronx. If they have to fly out to Oakland, I do not expect that season to be extended to that game. Uh, the A's, they, they don't have that, you know, the, what's his name, Manea, he's, uh, he's out for the year. So they don't really have a starter that they're going to throw out there and worry you. Uh, but historically, the Yankees going out to the West Coast is not a – not a good experience for them. And in the Bronx, they're just a, the lineup's different. I, I trust, I, at this point, you've got to throw Tanaka out there. The way he's been pitching against uh, Severino, Severino's been terrible. And I, I fully trust Tanaka in the Bronx. In, in Oakland, I don't really trust anyone on the team because it's it's been going to the West Coast has been a nightmare going back several years. Yeah. yeah. And we'll say one thing, the Yank road teams are 7-5 and five in the wild card games as was invented in 2012. So there is that hope if they end up having to go to Oakland. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it always helps being home. And I really, I think they're going to hold on and keep the game in the Bronx. They're, they are three games up in the lost column right now. Uh, you got judge back Chapman's coming back today. Hey, look, as Yankee fans, it might be a little irrational of us, but we're just hoping judge being there. will give a spark to the rest of the lineup. Is they really need it. They're, they are not hitting. It's been, for such a, a powerful lineup, it, it's been tough to watch lately. And we're just hoping Judge comes back. You know, he starts hitting like he's capable of. Uh, Stanton hopefully breaks out the, of this little slump he's been in lately. Uh, McCutcheon's been a good pickup. He's getting on base, hitting home runs. Uh, you know, the first base black hole is not going to be resolved anytime soon. <laughs> let's, let's, but, uh, you let's, know, I can't have everything. Yeah, let's go to Judge for one second. I mean, he just came off the DL last night. I finally got in the lineup, got some at-bats. If he, he plays the next two weeks, if he's not really hitting, like, at what point do you worry about, can I, can I throw him out there in the one game that I have to win? You have to play him. He, he could go hit list the rest of the season. It, it, if he says he's healthy and the, do- the Yankees trust him and the doctors say there's no chance of further re-injury, and he's at a point where the pain isn't hindering his ability to swing, you have to play him. He's Aaron Judge. He's our MVP. He's coming off a 50-home run season. Wasn't having quite the same season this year, but still over 400 on base, 28 home runs in, what, 110 games, I want to say. Um, You're not throwing out Brett Gardner over him or, or Shane Robinson because he had a bad couple of weeks. Now, is it realistic to expect Aaron Judge to be able to shape into form in these two weeks? Absolutely not. But you've got to hope, even if he's 75% of himself, that's a much better option than anything else they have. 
Yeah, so who do you think will sit down in that outfield? Because you have Gardner, you have you have Hicks, McCutcheon, Judge, and Stanton. You're all going to play. Which one of those other three do you think is going to sit? There's very little doubt in my mind that it's going to be Gardner that'll sit, unless there's some injury or I actually there's really no scenario other than injury that I see Brett Gardner starting this game. That's amazing, considering he's been with more playoff mainstays for this team over the years. Hey, look, I love Brett Gardner. Uh, he's uh, he's such a grinder. He works his butt off. Um, great fielder, still a great base runner, still works the count. He still takes his walks, but it, it's starting to look like there's been several, almost every year of the last three or four years, there's always a point where all of us Yankee fans say, all right, we, we got a lot out of Gardner. He's done. Then he'll go on a nice little run, bring his stats back to the norm where you usually expect a 250, 260 average, 340 on base, 15 to 20 home runs and fantastic defense so but it looks like this is the year where he, he, his offense has really slipped All right. uh, and bringing him a cutchin you know the, he, there's no way you can start brett gardner in that wild card game all right let's talk about first base the other position is really up in the air in the wild card game specifically uh, luke voigt was the throw in that international bonus money deal with the which they sent chase and shreve to st louis he's come over he's at 292 seven homers 17 rbis I think he's stolen that job from Bird right now. Do you think he can keep this up for the rest of the year and be like the Shane Spencer of this group? I wouldn't count on it. It would be certainly nice. Uh, but he's certainly the guy you got to go with right now. Greg Bird just looks lost. Hey, look, I love Greg Bird as a prospect. He was my Facebook cover photo, as odd <laughs> as that was. <laughs> Didn't pan out so well, given the fact that I did that. He broke his ankle for the 19th time, like a week after I said that. I just, he looks lost. He, it's, I, Paul O'Neill said it a couple of times, and I, I couldn't agree more. When he swings, it's almost like he doesn't want to, or there's no authority behind it. He has no confidence. He still has the plate discipline, but if he's walking and not hitting for any power, that's pretty useless because he's one of the slowest base runners I've ever seen. Uh, Yankee fans all remember in the ALCS against the Astros last year, thrown out at home on a play that I'm pretty sure Brett Gardner could have ran backwards and done cartwheels and made it to home in time. So he's lost. Uh, this has got to be it for the bird experiment. You can't go into uh, – I mean, that's for you know another story, but the offseason they've got to address it. For now, maybe Luke Voigt will be that lightning in a bottle. A lot of people are making that Shane Spencer comparison. We can't expect it. He does have power. Maybe the power is legit as a platoon guy. Definitely can't be the answer long term but maybe he'll give us a couple of good weeks. All right. Let's end the uh, two, pitching, uh, two pitching questions real quick. Number one, you mentioned that you want Tanaka to start the wild card game. I counter, would you think about J.A. Happ, considering he's gone 6-0, and the 234 ERA in 10 starts, and that he pitched well against the A's a few weeks ago? Hey, Happ's been fantastic. Uh, he's been a godsend, honestly. If, if they didn't bring him in, I don't think they hold on to that wild card lead against the A's. I just think Tanaka is the more talented pitcher. Uh, I don't think anyone would second guess that. Granted, Hap has been the hot hand. I just think when you're going uh, comparing Tanaka and Hap, Tanaka has the better stuff, uh, has the potential to be more dominant. I just, it's a fair question, though. Hap has been fantastic, but my gut says Tanaka. I, I think that's who Boone's going to go with, but. If he chose Happy, you can't really be upset with it. He's he's been fantastic. 
don't know. I agree. You can. I think you can make that argument. Plus, you can save Hap if you get through to, for game one against the Red Sox. He's pitched well against them a lot over the years. Oh, absolutely. He, that, I think that was one of the most appealing things about him. Is you, we knew we had a lot of games left against Boston. Uh, realistically, you knew if you're not winning the division, or either way, no matter whoever won the division, you knew you'd have to go up to the Red Sox with almost 100% certainty. So adding him to the mix is, uh, with his track record against the Red Sox is definitely a, a big plus. Okay. On to the bullpen real quick. You mentioned Chapman's coming back today. Who do you think ends up being the closer in that group? Is it Chapman or somebody like Britton or Rob or Robertson or Patances? If Chapman's one hundred percent healthy and he shows that the knee is no longer a problem, it's not even a question. It's Chapman. He's, I mean, he, he they they paid him the big money to be the closer. He was actually actually pitching very well this year. And he's still he's walking a lot of guys, but he's his strikeout rate's the highest it's been since, I want to say two thousand twelve. So he he was pitching very well. The knee started acting up. His velocity went a little down for him, which for him it's 98-99. But, you know, for him that makes a big difference when you're used to seeing 103-104. Uh, but if, if he's if he's healthy, there's there's no question it's him. All right. You want to stick around and do some NFL picks? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. All right. I hate the NFL right now because of my Giants, but I'll right. still do some picks. We'll get to that. So stick around, folks. We're going to stay tuned for our next gambling segment, Show Me the Money, right after this. Show me the money. Welcome back to Show Me the Money for week number three, back with Justin Diaz. Justin, before we get started, you mentioned you were a Giants fan. When did you start rooting for the Giants? Oh, man. Where do I start? I honestly, it's a disaster. The, 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 we're turning into the Jets. Again, no offense, but it's Hey, you've it's got two Super Bowls. I haven't gotten any. <laughs> yeah, that, that's very true, but... Uh, I feel like those Super Bowl have, have been, contribute to what we're seeing now. The, the Giants fans and the I feel like the, the organization, the fans adopt this mindset that the Giants are this amazing organization that can do no wrong. We're, we're due. We're, we're owed success, and, and it's expected. I, I like the mindset of expecting success, but at the end of the day, you have to evaluate your roster and, and see where it stands and make decisions accordingly. You can't look at a roster where you've made the playoffs once in the last six years. You had one fluke season where you went 11-5 and two years ago. Maybe Giant fans don't want to hear that. That was more, Every game, every win was a, was a one- or two-point win where you scratched it out. The offense did nothing, and Beckham took a, a five-yard slant 80 yards to the house. That's not sustainable success. So going into this offseason with the number two pick and drafting a running back was – Unbelievable. And the mind-boggling thing was to me was every Giants fan I knew, save for two, shout-out to Phil Friata and Nikki Friata, <laughs> every other single one was ecstatic with the Barkley pick. They expected us to have this powerhouse team. Oh, we have Beckham, we have Ingram, we have Barkley, we have Shepard. That's nice, but if you can't give Eli Manning more than two seconds to throw the ball, I don't care who's catching it because he's not going to deliver it to them. So... They missed a golden opportunity this offseason to draft the franchise quarterback. Your boy, Sammy Broadway, who I really am a big fan of. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on him so far. 
but um, it's it's just a very upsetting time to be a Giants fan. And a lot of people listen to this and say it's two weeks, you're panicking, but it's been it's not just about this season. It's it's been years of neglect to the depth of the roster, to particularly the offensive line. And that's you don't even have to be a, an astute observer. You could be a casual football fan, watch the Giants for 10 minutes and go, wow, these guys that are blocking really stink. And Gettleman somehow saw this roster and, and saw a quick turnaround. But honestly, the line looks worse than it did last year, which is incredible. I, I didn't think it gets worse than it did last year, but... I, I I can't believe I can believe what I'm watching, but it's almost like it's it's a dream. Like yeah, you're they at- had this golden opportunity, the number two overall pick in an absolutely stacked quarterback class. I, I, I wasted I, it. Wasted it, and this is this is not. With, I don't think the th- the thing I don't think a lot of Giants fans and maybe even other people are are comprehending. People like to knock every quarterback prospect that comes out. You cannot deny that this class. Regardless of how these guys pan out, these guys were very highly regarded from day one. All of them, Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, even Lamar Jackson, who, you know, there was a whole controversy of people asking to be a wide receiver, but that's neither here nor there. This was an unbelievably deep and talented class. That doesn't happen often. E.J. Manuel was once a first-round pick. So you never know what you're going to get. When you have the number two pick in that draft, you take one of those guys. I was personally would have preferred Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen, but even if they took Josh Allen, you know what? They're taking a project who has a talent. Just give it a shot. You don't take a running back who immediately becomes the sixth highest salary hit in the entire NFL at the position and a team that comes off a three-win season and I could rant on this for hours. Yeah, I feel like you're getting very worked up about this team. I know. Oh, I, my, <laughs> I feel my blood pressure rising. It's, I, right. I might, I'm going to have to go to the doctor after this. All right, let's, let's take it down a notch <laughs> here. Let's get to a little less serious. Number one, good, match, good game of fantasy this week. I managed to sneak by you in the Dynasty League, so that was a fun matchup between us. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good game. Um, disappointing. It's still early, Mike. It's still early. Don't get, don't get too too excited. Yeah, so, you know, that was fun. I'm going to get mad to throw that out there. And <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, so I respect that. Okay, <laughs> and let's go into the picks. I'm gonna re- Before we get started, let's recap where things stand in the challenge after week two. Joe Dalizzo was here last week. He went one and two. He correctly chose the Colts plus five and a half in Washington, but lost on the Panthers plus six. Barely missed that one. And he took the Jets minus three, which I warned him against, but he chose to take it anyway. I, on the other hand, I had gone 3-0 in week one. I went 0-3 in week number two. Lost on the Eagles, minus three. Vikings, plus one. Thank you for nothing, Dan Carlson. And the Saints, minus eight and a half, who struggled to get by the Browns. On the year, team challengers, 3-3. Three and three. I am 3-3. Three and three. Justin, since you are the guest, you can get to pick first this week. All right. Uh, first pick I'm going to go with. Uh, I like the Saints plus three over the Falcons this week. I think the Fal- Saints are uh, they're going to get their running game going. I think Camaro is going to have a big game. Uh, I think Michael Thomas is just an absolute stud. I think they'll have a big game. Still don't trust the Falcons' offense. I thought they looked absolutely terrible week one. I know they had a bit of a bounce back uh, last week. 
I like the Saints, and I like that the Saints in that game. They went out right. Actually, I think they're going to be a great team this year, and I, and I think they'll uh, they'll show that on Sunday. Okay, that's a good pick. I can buy the logic behind that. Next, I am going with Miami minus three over the Raiders, and that has absolutely nothing to do with what I think of Miami as a team, and everything to do with I think the Raiders and John Gruden are a complete dumpster fire. I think the level of arrogance one has to display to trade a sure-thing Hall of Famer for some draft picks is absolutely appalling. And I'm actively rooting against the Raiders this year because of it. And it's a little petty, but whatever, I'm a petty person. Hey, I don't blame you. Uh, I mean, the fact that Gruden actually came out in his press conference after the game and said, you know what, we need a pass rush. You just traded away with the best pass rusher in the league in his prime. Can you imagine being that arrogant? Yeah. It's like... I can't. I can't even fathom it. It's. It's just to, to trade away one of the. I mean, it's not an exaggeration. When you watch Cleo Mack play, first of all, the guy looks like a. He was, he's a cartoon character or a comic book hero, just the way he's built. Unparalleled production. He's at worst a top five pass rusher in the league. Has truly historic talent. You trade that guy for draft picks, who at best. You're not getting you're not getting Cleo Mack. It's it's a one in a hundred shot. Yeah. And then you have the, the nerve to then say, Ah oh, man, I really need a pass rush, man. I don't know what's going on. That was a terrible Gruden impression, but I tried. Yeah, I I would do it, but I'm I want to get moving here. So we'll go to we'll go to your next pick. Who are you going with number three? My next pick, I like Pitt minus one over the Bucks. Uh, I just feel like the Steelers historically have been a team that deals well with adversity, which they certainly have plenty of that going on. I think Antonio Brown is just going to go off, and I think your uh, your former your former friend Fitz Magic, the, the Magic is going to run out a little bit. Oh, you don't think the Magic is is going to keep going? I wish it would because that outfit he wore at the press conference was outstanding, and I want to see more of it. But I, I don't know. I, I remember the year he was ten and six with the Jets. I kept saying he was going to run out. He actually had a fantastic year, start to finish. So maybe I shouldn't bet against him. But I, I like Pittsburgh in this game. Yeah, I remember number one. I agree with the app. He looked like Conor McGregor's older brother in that thing. That was actually hilarious. Oh, uh, it was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. And number two, I've been talking about this in the podcast this last couple of weeks. The cycle of Ryan Fitzpatrick, and now he always has this spin where he gets cut, ends up somewhere as the backup. Steals the job with a great with a great performance, gets paid, and then starts thinking again. I feel like he's right in the middle of the stealing the job from Winston's face. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you know what's bothering me? Everyone's you know the whole Fitz Magic thing and uh, Minka Fitzpatrick trademarked it. Yep. Heard a couple analysts read a couple articles saying uh, Fitz Magic is a new term to this year. Am I re- remembering incorrectly that people are saying that that ten and six year with the Jets? No, that's just a whole invention of the media to make it look like Fitzpatrick is a whole big thing. Yeah, that's what I thought. But, uh, yeah, you, you, the, a lot of the media is making it sound like this is a new-to-this-year term. But, anyways. Okay, so your your picks are in. I'm going to start my picks. Game number one, I am taking the Green Bay Packers minus three at the Redskins. Green Bay played very well last week. If it wasn't for a dumb call by Tony Carrente, they easily would have beaten the Vikings on that last drive. Now they go play a Washington team that struggled to beat the Colts, struggled against the Colts, ended up losing that game. I don't think Washington is that good. I think Green Bay is my pick to go to the Super Bowl this year. I'm only laying three points. I'm going to take Green Bay, pick number one. That's a good pick, Mike. I, I, I don't know how Green Bay is only laying three points. Aaron Rodgers against Alex Smith, uh, I'll take that all day. Yeah, absolutely. Pick number two, 
This is more of an indictment of the Ravens. I'm going to take the Denver Broncos plus five on the road in Baltimore. Baltimore had a great showing in week one where they absolutely demolished the Bills. I think they're the worst team in the league. And then they came out and they laid an egg against the Bengals the, week, the following week. They got lit up by Andy Dalton, A.J. Green, three touchdowns in the first half. I don't know what to think of this team. I think Denver is not a great team. I think they have a good enough defense to go on the road and give them problems. I think five is too many points. I think that's a three-point game either direction. That's why I take the Broncos to cover. That's fair. Uh, you're dealing with Flacco the wacko. You, you really don't know what to expect. He's very high-variance performer. I don't feel strongly either way about that game. That's why. That's why I would, uh, if I were betting, I would lay off it either way. Yeah, that one just. I think the number what got me, and the fact that I don't trust the Ravens. And Fair enough. I, I I think that makes sense. All right, pick number three, and this I think my my biggest lock of the week: New England laying six and a half at Detroit. The Lions looked horrendous week one when the Jets went in there and embarrassed them. They got down very big, very early in San Francisco. Had a miraculous like comeback, almost won the game. I think that's why that's the line. Why the line is as close as it is. But New England coming off a loss, going up there, ticked off. That's not going to be pretty. And Belichick always makes it a point to show up his former co- coordinators in these games. I feel like that the Patriots can blow that game out of the water very early. Oh, it's. Uh, I mean, I feel like we're both being very agreeable here, but I, I could not agree with you more. I, I think Matt Patricia is, just has all the makings to be another man genius. Where I'm not kidding. I, we, I was watching. I don't remember watching or reading. Someone excuse, said something to the effect of, "It's okay. He, he'll figure it out." He's wearing a pencil on his ear, and they weren't kidding. So that whole mindset of he's a rocket scientist or whatever the heck he was it doesn't matter are you a good coach can you communicate effectively with young men do you understand the x's and o's but people were obsessed with this idea that he's some brilliant mind that's going to come in and just like he unlocked the key to a successful uh, football team i don't buy it i think he's going to be a terrible coach and uh so i mean it's two games in yeah obviously they could go on to be a dynasty, and this recording will be out there, and I'll sound like a dummy. <laughs> Early indications, not looking too good. I think New England's just going to put a smackdown on them. All right, to reset the picks, Justin has gone with the Saints plus three at Atlanta, Dolphins minus three over John Gruden's Raiders, and the Bucks minus one. I mean, the Steelers minus one at Tampa Bay. I have gone with the Packers minus three at Washington, Denver plus five at the Ravens and the Patriots laying six and a half at Detroit. Those are your picks for week number three on Show Me the Money. Justin, thanks for coming by. Thanks, Mike. And just quickly, let me get your quick uh, thoughts on Sammy Broadway. Sammy Broadway, I am very, actually very impressed by what I've seen so far. The fact that he's seen very even keel, no real highs or lows after like big plays. I feel like he's got that mobility that makes him very exciting. I think he could be a big-time factor for this, in this league going forward. Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, I said this to some people, and I think they think I'm crazy, but when he threw that pick six to start the game, I, I love that. I, I love the confidence. You, Of course, you, you don't want to see him thrown across his body, across the field, but he has the ability. You know, Brett Favre, he, he had his ups and downs. His biggest attribute to me was he had no fear. He, he was – he had break two tackles – just let it rip 50 yards down the field without looking and 
didn't always work, but sometimes it did. And a lot of quarterbacks are so programmed to be risk averse to a fault. I love seeing a guy who has the physical abilities and giving it a shot. And yeah, I'm excited for Jeff fans because uh, you know it, you guys have you guys have suffered through the Fitzpatrick's, the Sanchez. Uh, We're well, due. I, I don't even know. It, you, you deserve someone who has the talent, and uh, I think he's going to be a great player. Yeah, I agree. Thanks for coming on, Justin, and make make sure you uh, stay in touch. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. All right, that was Justin Diaz with your Week 3 NFL picks for Show Me the Money. Up next, this week's two-minute drill, where I look at what exactly is going on with the DC movies. Now Henry Cavill is reportedly out as Superman. Welcome back to this week's Two Minute Drill. This week we're going to the world of movies, specifically DC Comics movies, which are staring at a major change with Henry Cavill on his way out. Cavill, who played Superman in Man of Steel, that epic flop that was Batman v Superman, and Justice League, is now reportedly on his way out since DC is not planning on revisiting Superman's corner of the DC Universe for a few years. Cavill and DC could not reach an agreement for him to cameo in Shazam. There is no Superman movie in the works right now. The company is instead focusing on a Supergirl movie. For those who are not big comic nerds, Supergirl is Superman's older cousin. So Superman is an infant in the Supergirl timeline. Therefore, no need for Henry Cavill. The fact that your Superman, the guy who was the first character to be created in this new DC extended universe, or whatever they want to call it, he, now the fact that he's gone after just five movies is really bad. Here's the whole problem with the DC situation. Man of Steel comes out, it's a decent movie. Cowboys Go Superman has its problems, but they are right, coming out right after Avengers comes out. DC is sitting there, look at themselves, and they're thinking, you know what? We can do that. We have our own set of heroes. We have our own great stories. We can make our own extended universe. The problem was they didn't want to lay the groundwork that Marvel did. People forget Marvel made five movies before they got to Avengers. They did Iron Man they did Incredible Hulk, which is a disaster. Iron Man 2, which basically just propaganda to introduce Black Widow and stuff to get into Justice, get into Avengers. They did Thor, which is not great. They did Captain America 1, which was a good movie, before you got to Avengers. The, the next movie DC does after Man of Steel, Batman v Superman. That was an epic flop. The movie was way too long, tried to do way too much stuff. Just shoehorn in a bunch of elements that were trying to set up Justice League. It's not a half hour longer than it should be and way too dark. They do Suicide Squad next, which they try and make it edgy, making R-rated, completely boring movie. One Woman is great. The only good movie in the bunch. Next up is Justice League, which was absolutely atrocious. Justice League was thrown together quickly. They could tell they were rewrites the end of this movie because... They wanted it to be funnier. The tone did not match. The villain was boring as hell. And as I sold the person I saw this movie with, when you bring up villains in the after credits, such as Deathstroke, better known as Slade Wilson to those Teen Titan fans, and Lex Luthor, when your after credits villains are more exciting than the villains in the main movie, that's a big problem. The MCU took its time. They had only one recast in their whole set. 
set up, which is Mark Ruffalo replacing Norton as the Hulk in Avengers. That worked out just fine. DC is now getting rid of Superman. And this is after Ben Affleck has already said he's going to leave the universe and take and leave the role of Batman. Superman and Batman are the two main characters DC movie fans are familiar with. And they're both going to be recast before the next set of movies starts. That's not great. The other problem DC has is that they are way too ambitious. If you go to Wikipedia right now, look up DC Extended Universe. You see that they had the movies made. There's a couple in production right now, like Aquaman is coming out. And I believe uh, the Wonder Woman sequel and Shazam. And then there's a list of about 15 potential products they're going to do. 15. They're all, this one's in production. This one we're talking to a host. They're talking to an actor. This one we're writing a script. There's no focus. They just want to get as much stuff out there as they can. There's no plan. They're just trying to get movies out. That's not going to work. The problem with DC is DC needs to have someone like their Kevin Feige. They need someone to make a vision, pick the right people, let them do their jobs, and stick with it. Marvel was not Marvel overnight. DC trying to get to where Marvel is, not doing all the work, gets us to where we are today, where they're replacing Superman and Batman from just five movies. Not a good look. And that's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank my guest, Justin Diaz, for stopping by to talk a little Yankees baseball and make NFL picks for week three. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look back at the career of Mets captain David Wright, be sure to check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes simply by searching for Just and the Suffering in the podcast store. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings to help make this podcast even better. You can follow me on Twitter at mphillips331, that's M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331, and tweet at me with the hashtag BroadwaySammy if you made it to the end of today's show. Be sure you're locked in because I'll have another brand new episode of the podcast coming next week. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Browns fans. <laughs>